these men badly misused their positions of power. And I, and I do think it was more of a power dynamic. It was, it was as much a power dynamic at work as, as anything else. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper. This yellow fluffo is such a... Hi, I'm Susan Osman and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. Well, this week, I'm joined by one of these women, Judy Woodruff, an American broadcast journalist with over 50 years' experience. She's worked in network, cable and public television news. She's the anchor and managing editor of PBS NewsHour and has covered every presidential election and convention since 1976, and she joins me now. Hi, Judy. Hi, Susan. I'm so glad to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Quite a boast to have covered every U.S. election. Which was the most elevating of them all? <laughs> what a what a wonderful question uh, as we're entering the 2020s. Um, most elevating, that's a very good question. I have to say it wouldn't be the last two <laughs> uh, in 2016 and 2020. Um, I think mainly because the level of vitriol and uh, distrust is is off the charts in the United States in a way I haven't seen it before. You know, every election is contested. Um, it's hard fought. Both sides roll up their sleeves and do everything they can to win. But I, I feel that that the anger, um, the just the just the resentment out there among the voters is is higher than it's ever been. And it's hard when you're not listening uh, so much to the other side, I think, to be enlightened or lifted up. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm ducking your question. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I, the, first, the first election I covered was 1976. So let's call that one enlightening. Okay. <laughs> uh, the journalism landscape looks very different from when you began your career. Uh, what significant shifts have you witnessed? I would say everything. <laughs> um, everything but the fundamentals. I mean, we are still, I hope, focusing on uh, you know the facts and trying to get to the bottom of these stories and trying to figure out what are the most important um, uh, unanswered questions that we in the press need to be pursuing and which uh, which questions do we need to be asking of, of our elected leaders. When I started out, there was a 6 p.m. news and there was uh, a morning news and that was about it. And eventually along came the noon news, 12 o'clock news, and, uh, and then eventually along came cable, television, and hourly news. And of course, now it's every second. Uh, every second we breathe, it doesn't leave much time for reporters to reflect or think, and frankly, sometimes to to call second and third and fourth sources. Certainly, the style of interviewing and journalism has changed. It, it strikes me that we've become much more combative than we used to be. I think that's right. I think the level of of distrust. 
in um, in government, in uh, uh, public officials, uh, in institutions writ large, has dropped uh, dramatically over time, and I think that's taken a toll on on the kind of journalism we see. It's also affected, I think, what the public expects. Um, they back in the days of Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor, who were two. Uh, television network anchors here in the United States, you're used to seeing reasonably polite uh, interviews with presidents and senators and governors. Uh, you know, the standout exception might be when Dan Rather uh, stood up to ask a question of President Nixon, and uh, he asked President Nixon to words to this effect: "Are you running uh, for office? Are you running for re-election?" and President Nixon shot back, no, are you? Uh, because rather, he thought Rather's coverage had been too tough. And that everybody gasped and thought, oh my gosh, what's that? And that I think that still would be a pretty sharp exchange between a president and a reporter. But today you see such um, spirited, shall we say, exchanges between reporters and White House press secretaries and members of Congress and Others, um, there's just a. I, I mean, I, I do think for the most part, there there is a, a level of respect, but uh, there's also an assumption uh, that maybe something you know that, that we're not always getting the whole story, and we need to 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 question the the validity of what we're hearing. Well, you've interviewed several heads of state, and you've moderated several presidential debates. Has that experience shaped your opinion of people in power that you can say not everyone is corrupt, not everyone is on the on the make? Well, I would say the the entirety of my experience covering politics has, has led me to believe that uh, there are many, many good people in, in public office. They want to do the right thing. Uh, obviously, there are a few bad ones. Um, uh, and we've seen over time those numbers have waxed and waned, depending on what was going on. Uh, I also think people get to Washington and they often get swept into they, they almost all have to get swept into the to the to the partisan uh, nature of things. They get pulled in to uh, to party caucuses and party rules and regulations so that they're much more identified with the party than they are with serving uh, their constituents. Um, and I don't mean to say they all do this, but the, but the gravitational pull of the two parties today is much stronger than it was. And it's, it's created, I think, uh, a, much, a much more pronounced partisanship in the city and in, 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 in our government functioning than there ever was. You know, having said that, um, I do think most people come <laughs> to Washington or to state capitals hoping to do the right thing, but but uh, but it's it's hard to function uh, without you know paying attention to your you know your party boss, your party leaders, when you count on that party for fundraising and for support and for committee assignments, leadership posts. Um, so it's it's a give and take and. Uh, but I think it's taken a toll in the end. I do. Yeah. So, Judy, who or what got you first interested in becoming a journalist and, 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 and centering in on politics? 
Well, truthfully, Susan, it was a, it was almost a, <laughs> I came in through the back door. I started out studying math when I was in college as an undergraduate. I loved science and math, but I had a wonderful professor, a political science instructor in college who uh, got me interested in government. I worked in Washington for a couple of summers as an intern while I was in college for a member of Congress. And I just was, I was bitten by the bug. I love politics. I decided I wanted to make that a career. I wasn't sure what it would mean or how I would do that or what I would do, but I was, I was fascinated by it and by the potential uh, to, to make a difference in people's lives. But I went back uh, the second summer I was in Washington. Uh, I, I spent time talking with a number of women who worked on Capitol Hill where I was working as an intern. And the advice I was getting was don't come back to Washington because you'll be this was the late 1960s. And they said women will, you know, aren't taken seriously here. You'll be a gopher. You know, you'll be somebody's, um, you know, running to get coffee. And I took that very seriously. I went back to college. My, I was at Duke University. I went back to Duke my senior year and, and um, talked to a couple of professors about, you know, what that meant. And they, one of them in particular said, well, did you ever think about journalism? Because I don't, I don't really remember why he brought it up, but he did. And we had a wonderful conversation about it. And I went away from that one conversation and thought, okay, this is what I need to, to think about. And I started looking around and realized television was an interesting place to, uh, an interesting thing to explore. Uh, because frankly, I hadn't been writing for a newspaper. I had, didn't have clips to send around, you know, as a, as a, uh, uh, as part of my resume. And I thought, well, I can get a job in television and at the entry level, and then I'll find out whether reporting is, is what I want to do. And I was hired as a, the newsroom secretary for an ABC affiliate uh, TV station in Atlanta. This was in 1968. And the news director told me they couldn't hire me because they already had a woman reporter. Um, so I wrote every radio station, I think, in the country and a lot of television stations and got universal no's. Uh, but then, as luck would have it, another Atlanta station, the CBS affiliate, uh, they were losing their their reporter covering the Georgia legislature. And fortunately, the news director decided to give me a try. started being hired at the American networks uh, in, in significant numbers back in the 1970s. And so for me, that was my timing was good because I came along looking for a job at a network after working in local television, just at the exact time when there was pressure on the American broadcast networks to put more women on the air. The Federal Communications Commission made it a, a, a rule, a regulation that you had to put more women on the air. So uh, that was, and I was one of the direct beneficiaries of that, but it didn't really go very, it didn't get to critical mass until, until later. And I think cable helped, there were more channels, more, more options. So you certainly see more women 
um, on the air, on local television, as anchors, as reporters, television, and again, in print. Do I think we're where we need to be? No. I think we need to hire more women on significant beats. Um, as I say, more women in management. But I am heartened. I mean, I look at most of the, the reporters, the news hour, uh, my program turns to now for overseas reporting is are women. I mean, Jane Ferguson has done extraordinary reporting for us in uh, in in Yemen and Afghanistan. I mean, there are other women who've reported for us across the Middle East and Latin America. Uh, it's and and maybe it's because they found openings there that they couldn't find anywhere else. But thankfully for us, they did. Uh, it, it's quite rare, though. I, I think I can't actually think of an example of. Uh, never pairing an older woman with a young man, but we often see older guys with younger women. And I think that would be a change. If we if we started seeing even two women of a, of a certain age pair together, rather than this stereotype of the older man with a younger woman, which frankly looks quite uncomfortable these days. Well, that's, that's, I, in fact, there used to be a, 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 a kind of a joke about that. I mean, there was a point when in the United States, they were keeping track of, of local anchor teams. And they, and I remember this was, this has been a number of years ago. And, and there was a, there was a, a, a report that, wow, today there are more, or, you know, a few more women local anchors than there are men. But the, but the caveat was that, uh, that it, it often looked like a man and his second wife yeah, um, because of the age difference. I do think we're getting a little better that way. I mean, I've, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for 50 years, so I've been at it a long time. And, and it was in 2013 when my late wonderful colleague and good friend Gwen Eiffel and I were named uh, women co-anchors of the PBS NewsHour. Yeah, you were very um, unusual, the, weren't you, at the time? It was it was considered unusual. It was news. It was a news event because we were the first two women to co-anchor a national news uh, broadcast. And there there are a couple of other examples in the mornings. Uh, you you see two women on the Today Show. I think it's Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Uh, there is there are men at the table as well, but they 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 are the principal too. I believe that's still the case. So you're seeing more women. Um, and, and women are allowed to get uh, to grow older uh, on the air. I mean, I look around and I see some of the women I came up with are still doing extraordinary work, still thriving. Leslie Stahl at CBS, she and I covered the White House together under President, uh, President Reagan. Andrea Mitchell and I worked together at NBC. She's still reporting, uh, going strong for uh, NBC and MSNBC. So um, there, there are a few hardy souls who are still at it. But you are right. In, in we, we haven't made as much progress as we need to. We, we've seen, um, Judy, the downfall of multiple men in the media recently as a result of the uh, Me Too movement. Do you think this has been a long time coming? I do think so. And I, I'm still very, very curious about why it is that there's so many instances of this in in um, in in the journalism business. And so much in television news and even radio, um, it, 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 it there clearly is a power dynamic at work. The the networks, as I'm sure you know or can guess, are very competitive internally. And many of these men were in a position to make or break the careers of young women coming along after them. 
who were seeking their career advice or seeking a, a good recommendation. And so these men badly misused their positions of power. And I, and I do think it was more of a power dynamic. It was, it was as much a power dynamic at work as, as anything else. So, so you're saying really it's about, about power. Have you yourself experienced misogyny in the workplace or, or perhaps worse? Well, I've, I've certainly experienced it in a, in, a, in a milder form. I don't think there's a woman alive who, did, who hasn't experienced it in some form. But I've been very, I have to say, fortunate that I haven't, I didn't experience anything, any, anything like the sort of egregious um, situation that some of the women recently or in the last few years that we've read about. And I have no doubt that there, it's happened to many women uh, in, 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 in ways that we won't ever hear about. These women won't be talking about it or writing about it. And um, I, I respect their, you know, their, desire, their decision to keep it, to keep it private. Uh, but I'm so glad that a number of women have had the courage to speak up against powerful women, I mean, I'm sorry, powerful men, anchors, producers, bosses, CEOs. Um, uh, it's, it's just astonishing when you think about it. I, and I applaud them. I'm part of a, a group um, of women uh, and men in, uh, in journalism who are working together to find ways to, um, to uh, frankly, educate younger women and make sure in the business to make sure they know they don't have to put up with something like that if it presents itself. I'm interested to know, Judy, how you manage to balance the needs of your family. I know you have three children. Uh, your son, Jeffrey, has spina bifida. And I know you adopted your daughter, Lauren, from Korea. H how are you able to balance your, your work life? Because, uh, again, I haven't been around as, as long as you, but when I was uh, reporting and I had a son, I kind of hid my, my family life in order to survive professionally. Is that what you had to do as well? Well, when you ask how I did it, I mean, I, I would answer, I don't think I've done it very well. I don't I think because the fact is I, I went into this enterprise of, of career and family thinking, oh, I can do it all. I can give 100 percent to uh, to family. I very much wanted a family. I wanted children. So did my husband, who also happens to be a journalist. And, and both of us had this idea that, well, we can pull this off. Um and have children and have our careers. And the fact is, and, and Al, my husband, his name is Al Hunt, he acknowledges that most of this falls on the on the woman because we all, you know, we we know the expectation is that the mom, the mother is going to be the one to show up at school events, uh, to be there when there's a problem, doctor's appointments, um, and and to make the accommodation. As as great a father as my husband has been. He's fond of saying, you know, Judy and I both, um, you know, tried to be there for our children. The one di main difference is that, that I, you know, she feels guilty when she wasn't there and I didn't. <laughs> I still think that is the, the hardest um, question, challenge facing women who decide to go into journalism and who want to have a family. I, you know, it, it's one thing to... To, to have to, you know, trade off time with your husband, your spouse, whoever this, you know, your partner may be. Um, but if they're children and they need attention, um, you know, you can't do it all. 
What what do you think, Judy, about the concept of breaking the glass ceiling? I mean, you broke it. Women behind you have broken it. But it's like ice on a lake. It keeps on refreezing and someone breaks it, then it freezes up again. When do you think we're going to see a consistent thaw? I'm not sure we ever will because of the definite, as long as we define the role of women as we do in our society and whether that's through what sociologists believe or whether it's just because what's in the hearts and minds of women, um, it is there, there is a natural conflict between uh, wanting to have it all in our careers and reach the top and goodness knows women have made enormous progress in American government uh, in politics. You see many more women in the United States Congress. You know, we have a woman vice president now. We came have come close to having a woman president. And I have no doubt that eventually that will happen. Will that be considered the ultimate glass ceiling? Uh, I guess you could say it will. But we still are going to be looking to women uh, to uphold these other sort of unspoken standards that women are expected to look a certain way and act a certain way and to be good moms if they have children. And um, there just is an additional set of expectations for women. And I think as long as that's the case, it's really hard to, what is it? Uh, Ginger Rogers said, you know, I do what, what Fred Astaire does, but I do it backwards and in high heels. Um, I think women, you know, it's really hard to get away from that second and third set of expectations. So, you know, maybe in the year 2222, <laughs> um, you know, what is it? How many hundreds of years of, is that from now or in the 3022 when we've completely remodeled the role of women and men are having babies, too? <laughs> uh, the biology has changed. Maybe. Uh, Maybe things will change. But I, I have to say, we've come a very long way and we should be grateful for that. You founded the International Women's Media Foundation. Is that Was that set up to inspire the next generation of journalists or specifically female journalists? It, re- it truly was established. We worked on this. I had a wonderful group of women journalist colleagues back in the late 80s and early 90s who, as we watch democracy breaking out around the world in Eastern Europe and the Philippines and parts of the African continent, we decided we needed to um, create an organization that, that that's what we called an international women's media uh, foundation that would be a, a resource and a place of support for, for women who were trying to break into journalism in countries where there had no, where there was no tradition of journalism, you know, they were going from either autocracy or, or dictatorship, or certainly lack of, of uh, free press, to a place where there would potentially be a free press. And we wanted to be a source of. So we held a couple of international conferences. We invited women from all over the world, and it's since grown way beyond that. It's I'm so proud of that organization. I served on its board for for twenty some years, um, but it. It, uh, it, it today, it's all about being a, a place of support for women journalists around the world as women are under uh, enormous pressure and threat in countries where uh, there have been an opening for the press, free press. But today, governments are clamping down. They are throwing journalists in jail. They're murdering journalists. Look at Mexico. Look at Russia. 
So we we are all about supporting freedom of the press, supporting opportunities for women, because in many of these countries, women just have it harder there. You know, for all the things you, you and I have been talking about, what women in the United States face, it's you multiply that by 10 or 100 uh, yeah. to what women face in many Latin American countries and way beyond. So we're it, IWMF is all about uh, those kinds of things today and, and inspiring younger women as well. Judy, I think it's absolutely amazing that you're still in front of camera at 75, because in the UK, right about 45, 50, 55, if you're very lucky, you, you're still clinging on by your, by your manicured nails, um, because you have to look a particular way as well. Um, do you expect to slow down anytime soon? Because I'm hoping you're going to tell me you're going to keep going. What does the future look for, like for you? Well, I have a plan in mind uh, that I that I you know I've obviously have been thinking about what I'm going to do. I certainly don't want to die at the anchor desk. <laughs> I don't think that would be good for not a good look, not a good look, nor, no. nor the news hour. And I and and even more important than that, I do think it's so important to bring along the next generation. I mean, in a way, my being here has so much to do with. You know, Jim Lehrer, our predecessor, stepped down in 2011. He named several of us as co-anchor, as multiple anchors. And then in 2013 and 2014, Gwen Eiffel and I co-anchored. And then Gwen, very tragically, died at an early age of cancer. She died in 2016. And then I was named the solo anchor. So I've been doing this a long time. I've loved every minute of it. But the time is coming uh, for me to step back and uh, and for, for others uh, to step up. I still want to stay engaged. I think I'm going to be working one way or another until, you know, as long as I can. I love work. I love journalism. There's so many things I'm interested in, uh, even frankly, beyond journalism. So so I won't be doing it forever. But but uh, but you're right. I am so lucky to be doing this at the age of 75. I can't even believe it myself. I think you're amazing. I mean, I just I mean, I please keep please stay in front of camera for as long as you can. I mean, I take your point about you want to bring up in younger people. And talking of which, what would you say to younger women who were considering a, a career in, in front of camera? I would give them the advice. Uh, first of all, if you want to be a, a reporter on camera, you know, focus on the reporting first. The, the people who last the longest and who make the most contributions are those who are the best reporters who have something to offer, who know how to to go out and get a story, who know how to uh, to to share that story, who are good writers. Um, those those are the those are the uh, to me those are the most important qualities. And then work on the on camera skills. No question, on camera matters. You have to have that as well if you want to work in television. But but get those reporting and writing. Read everything you can get your hands on. Know as much as you can. Just be as smart as you can possibly be. Uh, or, or know who to call <laughs> to get the information. That's even more important than being, you know, than being smart. Um, but, but, you know, be prepared to work really, really hard. Um, and, and yes, and, and the on-camera skills as well. But the basics, the basics to me come first, and, and they always will. Judy Woodruff, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Susan, I've so enjoyed it. What a what a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. I can definitely say that you've been there, done that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?